And all week long, all week long, I was unsettled about the preaching. And that doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, I, I normally know that God is doing something, but you just don't know what he's doing. And um, what he was doing is he was putting me in a position where I'd have the Sunday school for the morning service. And a couple of people, uh, gentlemen, left this morning, very, very, very new to our church, only been here maybe a month. And he said, he said, thank you for that message this morning. I really needed that. It, God really spoke to me about some things in that message, and, and, and that just settled me. I understood what God was doing. You know, he, he has a plan, and it's funny, you know, as a pastor, you, you, you have a plan, you purpose things out, you know, books, and you, you know where you're going, but, but I've realized that you always have to be willing to listen to the Lord so you make changes. Now, today, for this study, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a reminder just a little bit of a reminder about us, about what it what it is to be a Christian. What what is a Christian, and um, and uh, so if you would take your Bibles, if you'd find Mark chapter twelve, and is is you probably know exactly where we're going. Mark chapter twelve, verse twenty eight, down to verse thirty four, and we're going to look at that a little bit, and um, it probably might be a little bit more sermonic today than it is teaching, but but that's because. I flopped the messages for today. The Bible study became the morning. The morning became the Bible study. But uh, So let, let's look at this Mark chapter 28. What is a Christian? Yeah, we, we could define that out in a lot of different ways. I'm sure we could have a very deep discussion that we could just talk about it the entire time that we have the, this afternoon. But simply put, a Christian is one who is born again. Born again meaning born from God, born from above. That it means that being a Christian is more than simply saying a prayer, right? It's more than believing a set of dogma or, or rules or regulations. It is more than saying, I'm a Christian because I was born in England or I grew up in England. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a kind of wacky, far-out cultic religion either. So, you know, I'm Christian. Being a Christian is so much more than that. It, it's when we have received spiritual life from the living God. You know, it's when our eyes have been opened to our condition and we have turned to God for salvation. For, for each of us, that moment, that act of when we came to know Jesus as Savior would probably be very different. Mine, mine was when I was 13 years old. And I'll give you a really condensed version. Uh, my parents sent us to a Christian school, and not because they were Christian, Susie. Now, these folks, have some of them heard this story before, but they weren't Christian. We weren't Christian. Uh, I mean, nothing in our home was religious at all. Every now and again when Billy Graham would come on telly, uh, Dad would turn on Billy Graham. But that is as far religious as we ever got. But... My dad and my mom sent us, there was five of us, and they sent us to a, a Christian school in Maryland simply for one reason. Mom and dad was worried that I couldn't handle going to a public junior high school because I was so introverted and shy and, and just they thought I'd 
honestly get beat up all the time because in sixth grade, uh, the year before you go to the junior high school, I started getting, I don't want to say I got into a lot of fights because that insinuates that you actually fought back. I, I just got beat up a lot. And, and so mom and dad, for fear of that in high school it being worse, sent us to a Christian school. Now, I praise God because that's grace. Grace is when God condescends down into human life, when he interjects himself into human life, when he works on our behalf to fulfill his purposes and plans, man. God's grace is him working in us and doing a work. And, and it was God's grace that I ended up in a Christian school because my dad owned a construction company, and he had a fellow by the name of George All. Now, George, he also sent his, his kids to a private school. That's all my dad knew. It was a private school. It would be a safer environment. Let me ask him about it. So dad asked George about the school he sent his kids to. And he said, it, it's called Riverdale Baptist School in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And you should check it out. We ended up there. The first week of that school, they, they, they had a revival meeting for the church. So the, the revival preacher named Johnston, they brought him in in the school and had chapel every morning in that school. And so we went into the chapel. Now, I'd never really been in church much, didn't have any idea what they really did. They said, you know, I said, where are we going? Oh, we're going to the chapel. And so we walked in this big auditorium. The church was huge. It probably held about 1,000 people. And in the middle, they had a big screen that was down. So, oh, cool, we're here to see a movie. Had no idea that there was a guy going to preach the gospel. So that first day, it was a Monday, I believe, in September of 1979, uh, he preached. And I listened to it. It's like stuff I'd never heard before. And there was a feeling inside me that I'd never felt before. It was like someone was stirring things up. Do you understand? Like... Almost like tearing you apart, really. And I sat there, and I, sinner, God, Jesus. I mean, I heard of all this stuff before, obviously. I, I wasn't absolutely ignorant about all that. But, man, this was different. Then at the end, he said, if you want to become a Christian and be born again, and someone you come down here, someone will talk with you. I had such a compulsion to go forward, but I didn't. And I stayed in my pew. And, or the, yeah, the pew. Tuesday, the same exact thing. But it felt like the tearing up was getting worse. And the third, Wednesday, the same thing. Third day, he's preaching about Jesus and salvation. And, and, and I'm like, I need this, but I don't want this. And, and, and I didn't do it. Then the fourth day came. And I don't remember at all what he spoke on, other you know, Jesus. But at the very end, he said, he said that Jesus Christ wants to save you. Now, there was hundreds of us kids in that auditorium. But you, you understand what I'm about ready to say. It was his finger pointed directly at me. And I, it could have been pointing like this, but that finger was pointing at me. And the Spirit of God said to me all that needed to be said. And right there in my chair, before they said anything else, I prayed in my own words, and I asked Jesus to forgive me. And, and I, I became a believer in Christ. I became born again. 
I have not always lived my life for Christ. I've not always done what the Lord wanted me to do. I backslid very badly for about 11 years. And it wasn't until my mid-ish 20s that, that I really uh, surrendered to the Lord and, and, and began to live for Him and through Him. But man, I know the day that I got saved. I went back and I looked at my hand. And I remember by looking at that hand, I thought, God lives in there now. I was totally amazed and, and just blown away. Never heard that kind of stuff before. Now, I wonder, I wonder what, what was your conversion like? How did you get saved? See, after I got saved, I had this great push. No one told me to go tell anybody. No one told me to witness. No, but God's Spirit did. And I had such a force within the Spirit of God that, that I wanted to go tell somebody. I just didn't know how to do it. And you know what? I never did. I kept it silent to myself for years. I was miserable about that. And one day, a guy invited me to his church, and I went to his church, and I walked down during the invitation. At that invitation, I said, Lord, I said, I've not lived for you as I should have all my life so far. But if you can use me, I hold nothing back from you anymore. And from that point on, I began to talk to people and witness to people about my faith in, in the Lord. But you know what? What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who's been saved. Now, your salvation experience might look a little bit different. Emily's looks way different than mine. She's a five years old. You know, she's told this testimony before. She was five years old, and... Um, um, it was probably right after, was it right after or before I pulled your tooth out? It, it was at the same church. It was at the same, I pulled her tooth out right before church, and so she went into the church building bleeding and crying. It was a wonderful experience, but it was right about that same time. It looks completely different. She doesn't, she doesn't have a, a life of outward sin that I had, and I praise the Lord for that. You know, um, and, and I've heard Jojo and Lisa's testimony. Your testimony is di different from mine, and everybody's testimony in this room would be different, but the similarity would be that you got born again. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who's been in, endued with spiritual life because of salvation by faith through grace. I, I say that because I, I get a lot, I talk to a lot of people. And a lot of people are Christian for the wrong reasons. You've got you to gotta ultimately understand you, you're a Christian because of salvation, not because you just believe something, not just because you go to a Christian church, not because you've been baptized by immersion underwater and had all kinds of funny things said over you as you come up into new life. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when the Holy Spirit has broken your spirit and you've come to Him in repentance and when you, you've accepted His gift of life. That salvation. There's a change. There's a change in behavior. There's a change in heart. There's a change in life. Now again, that picture looks different for different people. But the ultimate thing is there is a change. There's something that comes out of a person's life who's been saved. 
the Bible tells us in, was it Mark 13 or Matthew 13? I, I don't remember. The, the parable of the sower. Mark or Matthew 13, right? Parable of the sower. What's the difference between those who, who had true faith in Christ and those who did not? Fruit. There was fruit that followed and, and came out of their life that showed forth that they were truly believers. So my question is this. What is a Christian? It's one who's been born again. But what is the heart of a true Christian? Is it one who feeds the homeless? What's the life of a true Christian? You know, in, in England, the British culture is very charitable, isn't it? There's charity shops. They like to give. Uh, you know, I hate walking on that side of Chiswick High Road and Pavement. Do you know why? Anybody else hate walking on that side of Chiswick? Because almost any given day, there's some... Red cross, blue cross, or green cross, or save the whales, or save the children, or save the house, or save something. Somebody with a bucket or, or trying to get money from you. And worse yet, there's these very charismatic young people that say, Hey man, I love your glasses, I love your shoes, I don't have any money for you, sorry, thank you. Yeah, I don't say that, but that's what I really want to say, isn't it what you want to say? Don't ask me for money. And, 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 and so we have a very charitable um, conscience in in the UK but is that what makes you a Christian helping the poor giving money when needed always a kind and gracious spirit one who's selfless like Gandhi is that what makes you is that is that the outward workings of a Christian and there are many people who do those things and by their own admission would not consider themselves Christian and on the other hand there are there are others who would not do any of those things and would consider themselves a Christian. What is the mark of a Christian? What, what really is that one de descriptive characteristic that kind of shows forth our faith and our Christianity? I asked you to open up to Mark chapter 12. Let's read it together. You can read silently as I read out loud. And again, this might be a little bit different because this is typically a sermon and not a Bible study. And so I'm trying not to preach too much. And, and I know that probably most everybody in this room, uh, you're saved. So I'm preaching to the church and probably preaching and teaching something that is already maybe evident in your life. But let's look at see what Mark 12 says. Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter of chapter 12, was teaching about the wicked farmer who, hi who had hired out his field and he would not give the owner of that field the part of his crops. You, you know, there was a guy that was farming the field for the owner and in payment he was supposed to give part of the crops, but he wouldn't do that. And so the farmer eventually killed the owner's son in order to prevent the owner from getting anything. And this is what Jesus is teaching this parable. This was toward the religious leaders of that day. Jesus knew that they were going to kill him. So they began to ask the Lord questions to try to trip him up so to catch him in something that they could arrest him for, put him in jail, kill him, whatever. And so Jesus is teaching in, in, in John chapter 4, or, John, or Mark chapter 12, he's teaching about faith and about 
what true Christianity really is about. And he's speaking to those Pharisees because they had all the outward things, but they didn't have the inward change. So they began to ask Jesus questions. And the first question they asked him was by a Pharisee. And, 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 and the Pharisee asked him, should we pay taxes to Rome? And Jesus said, yeah, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Then the Sadducees came by and asked another question. And they asked, hey, is there a resurrection after death? So they told this story about a man who had married all these women that had died without children. And, 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 then they, and, and they said, what about him? Who gets to be with her, you know, if there's a resurrection? And Jesus said, in the resurrection... When they rise again, or they asked him, whose wife will she be? And Jesus said, you remember, what he, you remember what his answer was? What did Jesus say to them? Anybody? Say Renee? Yeah. Yeah. So you're not going to be married in heaven, man. There will be no marriage there. Then there was a third question, and it begins in verse 28. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? You remember, there were 600 plus commandments that they had that they had to follow. 365 of those commandments were negative. 248 of them were positive. They divided those commandments and heavy commandments and into light commandment categories. More important commandments, less important commandments. You, you could spend your entire day so that you wouldn't mess up, you know, your, your Judaism or something. You spend your entire day. Could you imagine the rule book that you'd have to carry around to follow all those things to be a good Jew? And what they were trying to do is they were trying to get Jesus to go against probably some of those mitzvahs, go against their teaching, go against the, the word of God. And here's what Jesus answered to the question of what's the most important of all the commandments that we have. And Jesus said, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And then the Lord, as, as amazingly wonderful and wise as he is, he said, and there's a second one. And it's like this, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. He took them back to God's word, to something that we call the Shema. The Shema was a prayer that they prayed daily. And the Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6. It's basically what we just read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, that's the only difference. Jesus didn't mention that part. But he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What do you teach to your children? Love God. Love God. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, 
When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This word about loving God. And that scribe that asked Jesus the question to, to catch him in something where they could accuse him of said this, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him, man, to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, more than anything you can do in your life, Christian more than any sacrifice, more than anything that you can give, more than any ministry that you can serve in, more than any, anything, to love God and to love people, that's the crux of Christianity. Now, I believe there are certain ways in, we, in, we, in which we do things. You know, I'm not, some people say, let's chuck out all the rules and regulations. Well, you know what? Bible tells us that we're to be holy as he is holy. You know, there are, there are rules and there's regulate there's things to do. But you know, the most important thing in Christian life is to love God and to love people. Now, I don't always love God the way I should. And I certainly don't always love people the way I should. Do you? None of us do. But that's the aim and the goal of what it is to be, to, to, to really be a Christian. In verse 34, Jesus finishes it up. And here's what it says. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That, that's intriguing to me. Now, I haven't fully studied that thought out. But Jesus said, man, you're not far from salvation. You're not far from the kingdom of God. By the statement of loving God and, and loving man is more than anything that you can do. It's more than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices and all the different things that you can offer to God. To love him and to love people. Now that is what the faith is all about. That's Christianity. If you want to, a description of faith and Christianity... That's what it is right there. And I think that is one of the most saddest statements that you can read. Here's a man surrounded by religiosity, surrounded by the Scripture, studies them and studies them and knows them. And yet, Jesus said of him, you're still a distance away from faith. You're still not there. But you're close. You know, I think of a lot of people that we've had in these pews over the last nine years that have been close to faith, that yet, as far as I know to this day, have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. They can come to our services and they can see our doxology, they can see our, our, the way we do things, they can hear all the great sermons, they can, they can learn a lot about Jesus himself. But you know what I fear sometimes? I think sometimes a lot of lost people don't see what it really is to be a Christian. Loving God and loving people. Caring for people. 
sacrificing for people. Isn't that what Christianity really is all about? Sacrificing for people, sacrificing for God. That, you know, do you, you want to know what the hardest thing for me to do as a pastor is to preach in front of my kids? Do you know why? Because they know me better than any of you do. They've seen me when I've lost my temper. Don't nod your head. This is your time to be a good child. And um, um, <laughs> she's seen me lose my temper. She's seen me see, say the wrong things to people. She has seen me not be loving. She's seen me, my kids, and Lisa seen me in all the different aspects of, of, of my life. But what I'm saying to you as a pastor, church, we can do everything right. We can have all the structures of the service right. We can read from the right translation. We can wear the right clothes to church. We can say the right words. You know, come when we first came to church here, they their tradition was to come in really quietly. Don't really see it anymore. Every now and again I do. But a British person would come in, they'd sit and bow their head and, and often fold their hands and be in prayer. And then Morris would get up, remember this liberty? Morris would get up and they'd be in that prayerfulness and he'd start preaching. Then all of a sudden that crazy family from America came in with three kids. We didn't know any better. We came into church, there was about 15 people in the church building here and we sat over there. I said to Lisa, I said, honey, it's too quiet in here, I'm going to go talk to people. I didn't know they were in prayer. So I started walking up to people and shaking hands. I did that to Mr. Stevens, Hazel's dad. He just smiled at me, knowing I'm a foreigner, probably didn't know any better. And I'm, and I'm talking to people. Do you know within a couple of months, the church no longer was quiet when we first started? Remember? Oh, you don't remember. <laughs> we just started loving and caring about people, and that was my way of doing it, talking to people and being friendly. You know, sometimes I think our, our doxology gets in the way, those sacrifices gets in the way of really what Christianity is all about, caring for God and for people. Man, love God, love people. There is nothing greater what the Bible teaches us than that, to love God and love people. In this scripture, Jesus quoted that Old Testament Shema, and this was part of something that they prayed every single day, twice a day, because that was their rule and regulation. You know what that says to me? It says to me, sometimes, sometimes we can practice our faith and not really live out our faith. You know, they knew all the stuff, but they weren't really showing what it was all about. Hey, if they had loved God, they would have loved Jesus, wouldn't they have? They didn't. They crucified Jesus. Because he was going against all their little things that they liked. Within these verses, we find the great teaching of God's Word. The teaching of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what he said? In that Shema, in Deuteronomy, there's something wonderful there. There's one Lord. You know, the world gets mad at Christians because we tell them, you can't get to God in any way you want to. You can't, you can't. All roads might have led to Rome at one time, but they don't anymore. And whether that illustration worked good back then, I can tell you that all ways do not lead to God. There's only one way to God. 
and that is through Jesus Christ. Do you know what the greatest loving thing that a Christian can do for someone else is to tell them the truth? Isn't it? Tell them the truth. Whether the truth hurts them or not, they still need to know the truth. Years ago, I was in a soul winning seminar, and, and the teacher was teaching us how to win people to Christ. And he, and he made a statement, and um, I thought the statement, statement was very profound. He said, oftentimes Christians do not witness of their faith because they're afraid to offend the person that they're talking to. He, he said, let me ask you one question. If you offend them by the truth because they're unsaved, what difference does it make? Because they're already on their way to hell. Now, I know you can take that to a certain degree because certainly we don't want to offend anybody in how we give the gospel, right? But we do know the truth offends at times. And sometimes we need to take that chance because we love them and we love God that that truth might offend them. Can I tell you, when I first heard about the gospel, it was offensive to me because that gospel said to me, you're not good enough. You don't make the grade the way you are. You need, you need someone to bring you to that point where you're acceptable to God. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Now, Shema teaches us that in that same scripture verse where the, the greatest of all commandments is to love God and love people, it tells us that there is one Lord. Now, the Bible says there's one body and one spirit. Even as you're all called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. That's out of Ephesians 4. You, you know, when we think about what it is to be a Christian, loving God and loving people, we need to tell them that there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to have a relationship with God. And it has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what has been done for you. And if you accept that or not. Then when that person comes to faith in Christ, then we can teach them what to do. But not until then. It tells us in Exodus chapter 20 that we're to have no other gods before us. Do you know why? Because there's only one God who is worthy of all that we have in our worship. There is exclusivity in this scripture. I'll tell you this. I see the greatest of love in the fact that 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 our faith is exclusive. Because is there any real love in telling people, just live how you are? God is love. He'll sort it out in the end. Oh, you know what? God's going to bring everybody into heaven because, you know, God loves everybody. That's true. God does love everyone. But he's not going to bring everybody into heaven. There needs to be a time where they've been born again. There's one Lord there's one way of salvation, that is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling these religious people, hey man, I get it, there is only one God. And that God, 
He's exclusive, and there's only one way to Him. And when it comes to Him, this is our reaction towards Him, that we ought to love Him with everything that we have. You know, what law, the scribe says, should we obey because it is the most important law that God wants us to obey? And Jesus answered, it is the law of love, to love Him and to love others. If the essence of divine law of faith, of being a Christian or a good person, consisted in the things that we do, it could not have been expressed in one word. But love can be used because it embraces every affection and every action proper to its object. God doesn't tell you the greatest commandment is to take offerings to the church or the greatest commandment is to be an evangelist or the greatest commandment is to attend the Sabbath services or the Sunday services. He didn't say that. He said the greatest thing for you and I to do as a Christian is to love them and to love other people. Amen? I mean, that's what it is to be a Christian. It says to love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What does that mean? I mean, when you study the, the love, you always go to 1 Corinthians 13, don't you? I mean, that's that love chapter, love verses, right? And it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not think evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice in sin. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears. It's a burden load. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things endures all things love never fails but you know the love for God is so much more than that Jesus said thou shalt love the Lord thy God the exclusive God the one and only God the God that wants nothing else between us and him we need to ask ourselves do I love God like the Bible tells us. How, does, how is it that I am supposed to love God? Now as I was reading this scripture yesterday. I see that these statements actually fulfill something in me. It fulfills a purpose in me. On how to love God. They give us a purpose to love. Not for self gain. You don't love for manipulation. You don't love to to. To, to gain anything back, but we are to love Him, the one above all others, purely and sincerely and fully. It tells us in the Scripture that we're to love Him with all our hearts. That actually means truly love Him, sincerely love Him. You know, without, without anything that makes it wrong. You, you know, it's like loving the, your spouse or something. You, you truly, sincerely love them. There's nothing held between you two. There's not secrets. There's not, there's not anything. It's just a pure, open love between one another. Sincere. That's how we're to love God. It says that we're to love Him with all our soul. Man, that's, that's with our feeling and warmth. 
Man, when we've, and, and I'm a very outward person. If I'm happy, you know it. If I'm not happy, you know it. If, uh, praising the Lord, you know it. If I, you, I'm outward in that sense. But when we first came to Ch- Chiswick nine years ago, we came from a very traditional background. So lifting up the hands, that was wrong. You don't lift up hands. You don't praise a hand. Matter of fact, we, we were taught in our church back in the States because uh, we clapped one day. So we had no clapping lessons in church. You know, you didn't do anything outward. You were too young to, to know this. No clapping lessons in church. Over the years, different people coming into our congregation and, 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 and just learning things through the scripture and stuff. To this morning, when I was in the back, yeah, I was lifting up my hands, praising the Lord. Man, all your soul with warmth and feeling and compassion. And that's how we're to love God. God didn't save us to be a dead on people, did he? He saved us to have, have this relationship with the one true God, the only God, to love him with all our heart, man, sincerely, to love him with our soul, a feeling and a warmth, to love him with our mind. You know what that means? It's, it's not blind devotion. You know, it's not being a mule and you just go where you're led. But we're to love him with our mind. We're to get into his word and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we get to know him in that sense. And we're to love him with all our strength, passion, intensity. You know, I I think the world, if they could see what a Christian truly is, one who loves God this way, they might reject the Savior. But they would have to admit that he makes a change in people's lives. You know, that, that he causes people to be different. Man, do, do we love him like this? Man, you're to love the Lord your God with all your power, sincere passion, intelligent love. Commentator says, you know, the piling up of these terms, heart, soul, mind, strength, it's just a simple way of saying you are to love God with everything that you are. Nothing, nothing should be loved in our life more than our Savior. I'll tell you a quick story and we'll we'll finish. And I only tell you stories about me because that's who I know. That's the life I've lived. I'm not bragging at all. And this isn't really something to brag on. Years ago, um, Lisa and I, we got married. We got married, though we were both Christians, Jesus was not part of our marriage, not part of our life. Wasn't a part of our dating life, wasn't part of anything. But we got married. Within a short period of time, that's when I'd gone to that service, church service. Lisa was with me. And at the invitation, man, I was convicted in my heart that I wasn't living right for God. And I went forward and, and just surrendered my life to him, knowing that he saved me and that I ought to live for him. Now, Lisa, on the other hand, she was happy to go to church with me on Sunday morning, but that was as far as she wanted to go. And within about a year and a half, I knew that God had called me into ministry. And I went home one day after work and prayed about it and all and stuff. I said, all right, I need to tell Lisa. And I said, honey, I said, I think God's called me 
into the ministry. God, God's called me to be, to be a preacher. I don't know what kind, or the evangelist or whatever, but I know he wants me to be in the ministry. And I want to tell people about him, and I want to see people get saved. And she said to me, I'll never forget it. She said, honey, uh, she said, look, God's not calling you into the ministry. And I thought, well, good. Tell me why, because I'm really battling this thing, and, 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 and this is hard for me. And, and I said, well, why isn't God calling me into the ministry? And she looked at me, as serious as can be, and she said, because I don't want to be a pastor's wife. And that was the end of it. And, I, and, I, and from that point on, I knew he's in trouble. I knew there would be a problem. Because I love God. And the Bible says I'm to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all my being. And I'm to have nothing between him and me. And the short version of the story is this. It came down to a choice. God or marriage. And I chose God. And I said to him, Lord, I said, I don't know what's going to happen. If she leaves, I don't know how you're going to use me in ministry. But I am going to love you and I'm going to serve you. I, a few days went by. I went home after work. And I saw Lisa sitting there on the couch in tears. And I walked in the door. and She looked at me and she said, no more. I surrender it all. I, she said, she said I, I, I want to love God with all that I am. If you're going to go into the ministry, if that's what he wants for us, then I will follow. All the fears that she had were true. Every reason she never wanted to be a pastor's wife has come true. But, do you know what? She and I would change nothing. The most important thing that we can do is love God. Above anything and everything else. I can't always say to someone that I share that story with when they say, you know, I'm in the same situation so if I choose to love God and, and take the chance that my person that I love won't want to go with me and love God as well, if I do it the way you did it, am I guaranteed that he or she's going to follow me? The answer is no. No. But I can make you this promise. God's word's true. And he said, as a Christian, the most important thing we can do is love God and love people. And I encourage you as a Christian don't let the world tell you anything different. Don't let the devil tell you anything different. The most important thing is to love him, really because he's worth it. He is worth it. And you'll never regret loving God with all that you have. Even if it causes you to make sacrifices in your life that you never expected to make. Because they're going to come anyway, aren't they? How many times in your Christian life have you had to make sacrifices for the Lord? It's always worth it, isn't it? Isn't it? How do I love God? Well, I can't tell you how you are to love God. I can tell you that as a Christian, part of our loving God, you need to spend time with Him. As a Christian, loving God is obeying God. You know, we have to obey His Word. Loving God, ultimately, firstly, and most importantly, you cannot love God unless you are born again. You have to have a relationship with Him. You need to be saved. But also, in loving God, it means that we take that love of God that's in us, and that He has for us, 
and the love that we have for him, and we take it to the world around us. All week long, I was thinking about that illustration that Matt gave us last week about Pin Jillian. Do you remember the illustration of the atheist magician? He showed it in, uh, last Sunday. In, the, in that video, the atheist magician, Pin Jillian is his name. Pin is his first name. He said something to the effect of, you know, as a Christian, how much do you hate me to not share your faith with me? That really spoke to me all week. It's done my mind in because, you know, that's the reality of it. If we love God, we have to love people. It just goes hand in hand. We have to love our neighbor. And Jesus showed that it was impossible to really love God without loving the people around us. Love for God is expressed in loving others. Again, how powerful was that video that he showed? How much do you hate me to not tell me of your faith? So what does our life consist of? Our Christian life. How is it pictured? Is it pictured with rules? Are you a, are you a Christian? Be, are you known as a Christian because you go to church all the time? Or are you known as a Christian because you love God and love people? Are you known as a Christian because, see, in America we do this. Here we don't. We get a big old bumper sticker on our back of the car that says, Jesus saves. You ever seen them over there? Oh, yeah. They're a Christian. They got a sticker that says, Jesus saves. Lisa was going to church one morning. She was late because Emily, being the bad child that she's always been, Lisa picked her up as a little baby. And you know what she did walking out the door? Blah. Vomited all over Lisa's dress, all over Emily's dress. Lisa had to go back in the house, change her. Now she's late. I'd already been at church getting the buses running. So she's on her way. And Lisa told me this story on her way to church. She said, honey, the saddest thing happened this morning. She told me about Emily getting sick and all and then having to rechange and get in the car. And she's running late. She's going up the road. And all of a sudden, this car just came out of nowhere because apparently Lisa wasn't driving fast enough. But mind you, it's our first baby. So we didn't break the speed limit with Emily. You know, we put uh, plastic bags and stuff around her, rubber things, you know, protect her. So Lisa's driving slow. So the lady pulls around Lisa, honks at her, gives her the universal sign, that middle finger thingy, gives her the universal sign, pulls in front of Lisa, and guess what's on the bumper of her car? Jesus saves. Rubbish. Rubbish. What is it that we ought to exemplify in our faith? Man, the, religion, the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't get it. They had the rules. They had the outward look. Uh, I said all this to say this. We have, we have a whole week ahead of us. We have a life ahead of us. We're going to meet people. We're going to walk in life. And what is the very most important rule that we can follow in the Word of God? Is it going to church? No. Is it, is it being a witness and passing tracts out and doing all that? No. The most important thing that we can do in our heart, in our life, is to love God so much that it comes out in how we love the world around us. Loving God and loving man. My pastor used to say, the one that is in heaven, now, he said, he said, you 
You can love man in a way. You can love man and not love God. But you can't love God and not love man. That makes great sense to me. Because the whole essence of God is that God became a man because he so loved this world that he did not want any of them to perish. So Jesus Christ came to die in our place so that by faith through grace, anyone can be saved if they come to Jesus Christ. The whole essence of God is love. The whole essence of us should be love. Let's pray and enjoy this beautiful day.